Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's time for Next Gen Friday. We are so excited about the future of our fellowship that we highlight the 40 and under pastors of CFM. We hope you are inspired by the deep bench of pastors and leaders coming up around the world. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Just a little bit. I have the, uh, the heavy eyelid seminar, so... Amen. While we're... Stretching, I want to say how much I appreciate Pastor Campbell, the opportunity to come. You can have your seats. To be able to minister the gospel, I don't take it lightly. Many men have come before me. And uh, amen, I appreciate you, Pastor Campbell. If you have your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse number 24, we're going to read quite a lengthy scripture, and we're going to continue in, uh, through chapter 7. Throughout this whole conference, um, I admit... Basically, every point of my sermon has already been preached, and uh, I'm sitting here nervous the entire time because it was like, from the very beginning, the very offering, he's using my text, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I was joking with Pastor Williams last night, I said, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to stand up and just say, okay, so point number one is what Pastor Meyer said, and Subpoint A is, you know, what Ryan said, and B is what Pastor Williams said, you know, and bow your head. Let's go get a donut. But um, there's a reason why all four Gospels, there's, why there, there's a reason why there's four Gospels, and that is because we need to hear things more than once. And so uh, I think there's some people here God's trying to get through to you, and, and you need to hear it again. Uh, Neymar is a very famous Brazilian football or soccer player. He's paid 300, or excuse me, 3 million euros a month. 
Part of the three million euros that he's paid, 500,000 of that is paid specifically that he won't speak about Jesus. He allows money to dictate his willingness to share the gospel with the world. He allows blessing to keep him silent. In our text, we're going to read about men who are faced with the same dilemma, but they choose instead to lay down their blessing. They speak up and a city is saved. Let's read 2 Kings chapter 6, verse number 24. And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army. He went up and besieged Samaria, and there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and dove droppings for five shekels. And as the king of Israel was passing on a wall, a woman cried out to him saying, help me, O Lord, my king. He said, if the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? And the king said to her, what is troubling you? And she answered, this woman said to me, give your son that I might eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son. And he said to her on the next day, give your son that we might eat him. But she's hidden her son. Now it happened. Man. Now it happened when the king heard these words, the king tore his clothes. Let's jump to verse number three of chapter seven. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, why are we sitting here till we die? If we say we enter the city, the famine's in the city, we shall die there. If we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. Then they arose at twilight. I want you to remember that. To go to the camp of the Syrians. When they had come to the outskirts of the Syrians, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and noise of horses, a great army. So they said, look, the kings have hired against us the kings of the Hittites and Egyptians. Therefore, they rose, fled at twilight, left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys. They fled for their lives. When these lepers came to the outskirts, they went into one tent, ate, and drank. I want you to remember that. Carried from it silver, gold, clothing, and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent, carried from there also, went and hid it. Then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This day is a day of good news. We remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, let us go up and tell the king's household. Let me pray. God, God, help us in Jesus' name. Uh, Let's talk first about God's plan in the famine. I want you to consider the condition of these people. In our text, we're shocked. There's these people, the things that they're consuming. But the truth is, this is all just simply the fallout of their sin. We read, if you read the Bible, you concentrate and focus on the history of Israel. There was rebellion, civil war, Baal worship, child sacrifice, disobedience, and now they're enduring a famine. But what stands out the most about this famine is what it has led them to be willing to consume. Donkey's heads, dove's dung. And we know, obviously, they're Jews. This would have been something that was considered unclean. But at this point, they don't care about religious statutes. They're not worried about rituals or cleanliness, anything to fill the void. I believe it was mentioned this week. There are people 
just willing to fill themselves with anything. We continue, the worst of it is that women are willing to consume their children. And we read this, we're, we're in total shock. This is something that's so appalling, so disgusting. This goes against the nature of a mother. A mother, she's loving, she's protective, she's nurturing. A mother is willing to die for her children, but instead, they're literally praying on the innocent. I believe this was mentioned The issue is this shouldn't have surprised them. In fact, this should have been expected. When we read about the Israelites, they are entering the promised land, and they were warned. Deuteronomy chapter 28, Moses warns of the consequences of their disobedience. He says, your enemies will, listen, this is specific, your enemies will besiege you. Your refined men will become hostile and leave their families. Delicate women will become savages and hide their children to eat them and not be willing to share with their families. They knew this was coming. And although this behavior seems appalling, you know, it sounds like today. Every day in the news I read and I'm shocked. The stuff that's happening, not just in our nation, but abroad. The violence, the murder, the sexual perversion, the addictions. I mean, we're living in a world where they've changed the word from a pedophile to a minor attracted person. And the problem is, I shouldn't be shocked. And you shouldn't be shocked. I'm sure many of us, if you're a pastor here, 15 years ago, you would have said, it's coming. This is what we are going to endure. Romans chapter 1, 24, therefore God also gave them to uncleanness for this reason. God gave them to vile passions. Women exchanged a natural use for what's against nature. Men leaving the natural use for women burn in their lust. Men committing things that are shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due, 2 Timothy 3, 1. We know this, that the last day perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brooder, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We too are living in a generation of uncleanness. People are desperate, willing to consume, take part in savage things. But the issue is God has a purpose for this famine. It's a chastening. Consider with me another famine, the prodigal son. You all know the story. I won't belabor you, but he rebels against his father. He goes his way. His father, being the gentleman that he is, like our God, allows him to go, make bad choices, suffer want, endure a famine. And what happens? It's when he's in the pig pen, consuming, willing to fill himself with the pods of the pigs, that what happens? The Bible says he comes to his senses. I believe somebody preached this week that, There are people right now that are willing to come to their senses. I live in a nation where people are coming to their senses. They're looking at their circumstances and saying, what in the world am I doing? I never thought. And this is where we find the people of God. This is where we find the world. The world is consuming such disgusting things. And now here they are, willing They're willing to listen. They're they're willing to hear what you have to say. Trust me. Hebrews 12, 11, now no chastening, seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, 
Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God's doing this for a purpose. But there has to be hope and correction. If not, we make, bad, we make God look bad. There has to be hope in correction. Let's consider the good news. In our text, the lepers, they're desperate. They have nothing to lose. They reason amongst themselves. They decide to go to the Syrian camp. And we read the story that they walk into a miracle of God. Here's this blessing, this food, this clothing, silver, gold, all that they ever could have hoped and dreamed of, all that they could have ever needed. They probably literally said, I'm saved. We're saved. Like you and me. You were desperate. I was desperate. And yet we were saved. We have all that we could ever hope and dream of right now. Just look around. You have all that you could ever dream of. Verse number nine, then they said to one another, this day is a day of good news. We know the Greek word in the New Testament for gospel is good news. For many of us, our lives were desperate. We were saved. We received the good news. But verse 9 continues, and we remained silent. Let me talk about the threat of silence. We live in a world where silencing and censoring has become normal. We obviously know this is a strategy of hell to keep us silent, to keep the good news or the gospel from being spread. And this is an outside threat or an outside intimidation. We know that this isn't anything that's new. Consider the disciples, Acts chapter 4, they're preaching in the streets and a governing body comes and threatens them and says, you better not speak of Jesus again. But you know, there's another threat of silence. And it comes from inside. The men, they said, we are not doing good. You know, they felt a responsibility. It was something personal. James chapter 4, verse 17, Therefore, to him, to her, who knows to do good and does not do it, it's sin. I'm trying. For many of us, we know that we should speak up. We need to take the good news to the needy nations of the world, and yet we remain silent. One man said, the world suffers not because of the violence of evil people, but because of the silence of good people. I appreciate Pastor Ryan's sermon, I really do. But you don't need to be called to a nation. I wasn't. I wasn't called to Houston, I wasn't called to China, and I absolutely was not called to Lima, Peru. Nowhere did God speak to me. He didn't. Isaiah, we know the story. Here's God, Isaiah has this vision, and what does God say? Who shall we send? Who will go? That's the call. Who will go? Isaiah didn't begin to negotiate with God. Well, it depends, God, where? Where where is it that you want me to go? So let's consider what keeps us silent. Verse number eight, and then the lepers came to the outskirts of the camp. They went into one tent, and it says they ate 
and they drank. Let's consider just living life. I, there was a time that I was speaking with another pastor, and just at, in, in a nutshell, I ended up just explaining the urgency and the need to re-pioneer the church. And, and I said, just, just outreach every single day. And this pastor said something, and it shook me to, to the core of who I am as a disciple. And he said these literal words, I have a life to live. And everything inside of me thought, what happened to deny yourself? Consider the term eating and drinking. They're consumers. Luke chapter 12, I encourage you after this, please, to go read the entire chapter. I, I actually hesitate. I wanted to read the entire thing, but it's this very intense discourse from Jesus, and it's a very huge warning about the last days and the necessity to be ready. But within just this one chapter discourse, we see the rich young, or excuse me, the rich fool with the barns and the bigger barns, and he tells himself, soul, eat and drink. Jesus later on warns and says, don't worry about what you will eat or drink. And later in the discourse, he explains the servant who says, my master delays his coming, eat and drink. You know, some people, you're just simply living life right now. You're just going to work. You come to church. You have your hobbies. You're just living life. Just consuming It's in our text, the lepers, they're eating and drinking while the city is starving. And some of us do too. We come to church and we hear amazing preaching. Listen, our fellowship has very good preaching. And many of us, we just consume it and consume it and consume it. And there are people who don't get any of it. Ryan talked about India. I was in China there's many people who have never even heard of Jesus. We're not kidding when we tell you that. Give me a venti, half-calf, skinny, almond milk, extra whip, no water, two-pump chai latte with chocolate sprinkles. And the rest of the world starves. The rich man in Lazarus, here's this man living this luxurious lifestyle while men outside of his gate starved to death. And Jesus wasn't rebuking the Pharisees for feeding the hungry. This is the atmosphere of the last days, and it's a warning. Matthew 24, 38, for as the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. This is the warning of Jesus. You'll know when I'm coming because everyone will just be sitting back eating and drinking. Let's consider abundance in the text. The men went to the tent. They took from it silver, gold, clothing. And the text says they went and hid it. You know, God's not against blessing. And I want to make sure I make this statement very clear. God's not against you being blessed. But it says they went to a second tent. And that's when they realized, hold on a second. Hold on. We already went to a tent. We've got silver. We've got gold. We've got clothing. We don't need that much. The rich fool, his barns were full. It says that he was, he was fruitful. And what does he do? 
oh, I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger. It says he built for himself bigger barns. Rich young ruler, he wasn't willing to reduce his lifestyle to follow Jesus with the good news. The question I have for you, for me, is how much do we need? Proverbs says there's one who holds back more than what's right. So then the question is, and you need to ask yourself, how much is right? You know, we all too often justify excess. Have you ever met anybody who justifies giving it all? What if I asked you right now, test your heart. What if I asked you, give up Starbucks for the rest of your life and give to world evangelism? Some of you just started to justify it. The Bible says, deny yourself. What are you denying? What am I denying? You know, sometimes we forget who we are. I believe it was Pastor Greg who spoke about this. And sometimes we think that we earned all of this. You know, these men were lepers. God does the miracle, and it's not something that they earned. These guys were desperate. If we go, we die. If we stay, we die. We're going to die. Let's just see what happens. God does a miracle. You know, so often in the Bible, we read about David and Moses and the mighty men of valor. Oh, that's me. No, we're lepers. (laughs) Isaiah 64, for all of you who want to defend yourself right now, we're all an unclean thing. Imagine these men, these lepers going in their their tent to tent. They're pulling from it silver and gold. Look at me, I'm so rich. They probably begin to try on the clothing and this would have been, you know, noble people and and generals and, and they probably put this on. Look at me, I'm a general. Look at me, I'm a nobleman. But you know what? They all looked at each other and said, no, you're a leper. I'm a pastor. I'm a missionary. No, I'm a leper. We're all lepers. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how smart you are. There's smart people in the world. We're all lepers. These lepers happen upon the blessing, but they, you know what? They said, we didn't earn this. I know you all work hard. I I do believe that America is the hardest working nation in the world. Not that I've been too many places. We do our part. We try, we give our best, but can I tell you something? You didn't earn America. You didn't earn this fellowship, this conference, my pastor. I was just born into this, and you were too. Just hold, hold on, just give me a second, give me a second. I can remember being a little boy, probably five or six, and uh, my parents instilled this into me, actually. They used to, when I was a little boy, you know, just teach me to be grateful. And I I haven't always been. But, you know, I, I used to, it's strange, but I would lock myself in the bathroom, and I would look in the mirror, and I would just wonder who I was looking at. And, and I would just ask myself, God, why did you make me? 
I have good parents. I apologize. Just, I have, a, I have the best pastor in the world. Look at what we have, guys. We didn't earn this. I have people that want to be here, and they can't. I have people in my church that so desperately want to be here. They're so hungry. And some of us, we're just goofing off in the donut break. And we just, we get this every year. We get Prescott. We get pioneer rallies. We get missions rallies. We get men's discipleships. We get all of this preaching. Pastor Ruby and Pastor Mitchell and Pastor Greg and Pastor Campbell and all of this. And we don't do anything with it. Proverbs 3.27, do not withhold good from those whom it's due when it's in the power of your hand to do so. We have so much at our disposal that we can use for furthering the gospel, and yet our focus is eating and drinking silver, gold, clothing. God spoke to me last night. We were singing the song, Christ is enough for me. And I'm looking around and everyone is singing with all of their hearts and you can feel God's presence in there. And I was, I mean, just, I'm a mess. I admit I'm a mess. I told Tori last night I'm a mess because this whole conference, what happened yesterday, just this whole conference, I'm, I'm just, I'm a mess. God is moving upon hearts and we're crying out, Christ is enough for me. And God spoke to me and he said, I want you to ask them, am I? We have so much at our disposal. There was a story of a rabbi who took a rich man by the hand and led him to a window, and he said, look out there. What do you see? He said, I see men. I see women. I see children. The rabbi took him by the hand and led him to a mirror, and he said, now what do you see? He said, now I see myself. The rabbi said, the window has glass. The mirror has glass. But the glass of the mirror is covered with a little bit of silver, And no sooner that the silver is added, you cease to see others and you only see yourself. Let's consider timing our conference theme. How many here believe that Jesus is coming back in your lifetime? Do me a favor, raise your hand real high. If you don't, that's fine. I don't see many hands down. I'll come back to that. Notice the scripture is clear to say that they went at twilight. What does that mean? It means it's getting dark. Listen, we know it's getting dark. The rich man with the barns, Jesus says, you fool, night has come. Your soul will be required of you. He didn't understand eternity. He couldn't see night was coming. Can you see eternity? Are you able to see that night is coming? The rich man in Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, listen, it's only after he is in eternity that he becomes concerned about the good news or the gospel. It's too late. He's in eternity, and it's now that he's crying. Oh, Jesus, somebody, send somebody to my family. Now he's concerned about outreach. Luke 12, again, Jesus finishes the entire discourse by saying, you discern the weather, but you can't discern the signs of the times. You know, why would they want to discern the weather? It's not because they needed an umbrella the next day. It's because... Prosperity came with rain. You know, some of us, we know when to buy stock. We know how to start businesses. We've got all of our plans and what we're going to do, and yet we don't realize night is coming, and whose will these things be? 
I remember a co-worker saying that he believed in December 21st, 2012. We remember the nonsense that the world was coming to an end. The problem was December 19th, I approached him and he was at work cutting carpet. And I said, you don't believe. No, no, I believe. I really believe. I said, it's two days until December 21st. If you really believed, you wouldn't be at work right now. You'd be out spending money and using your credit card on all kinds of nonsense, wouldn't you? I asked everybody to raise your hand. How many believe Jesus is coming back? How many people look at our life and say, you don't believe? If we believed, we would be witnessing at every restaurant that we go to. Every Saturday morning on outreach, we wouldn't be able to stop. We'd be willing to deny ourselves and sell everything to go overseas and reach the unreached. Let's consider the consequences of our silence. Luke chapter 12 tells us to those who much is given, much is required. The lepers recognize this. If we don't do something about this, and what do they say? If we wait until morning, the king will punish us. We forget that we serve a king. A king reigns. A king rules. This is not God's constitutional republic. This is not God's democracy. And my fear is many times our civil rights seep into God's kingdom and we begin to say, I have a right to the pursuit of happiness. I have a life to live. Imagine the king's response. Imagine if the king shows up and here's these men in the tents going in and out and just consuming and enjoying himself. Can you imagine how livid the king would be? He would walk in there. What are you doing right now? Don't you see the condition of the people? And my fear is that sometimes we forget that we serve a king that might be looking at us saying, what are you doing right now? Don't you see the condition of the people? Sorry, I, sorry, king, you know, I was just, we were just enjoying ourselves in, in our tents. You know, this is all temporary, right? You know, you know, this is all just, this is all just tents. Some of us have really, really nice tents. We're, we're upgrading our tents. Man, I gotta, you know, I've gotta get the, I need a seven-room tent because, you know, it's me and my wife. You know, it's possible people are starving because we're upgrading our tents. What if Pastor Campbell didn't leave his tent? Lepers knew there would be punishment if they didn't share the good news, and we need to also. God will punish us. If you don't believe me, Luke chapter 12, 42, the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion, listen, to give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all he has. But the servant that says in his heart, my master delays his coming. We always think we have time and begins to beat his male and female servants, eat and drink and be drunk. The master of the servant will come on that day when he's not looking for him, and at an hour when he's not aware, and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. This was not a warning to sinners. Let's talk lastly about feeding the multitude. 
I, I don't recall who mentioned it, but, you know, true salvation, it constitutes action. These lepers, here they are, they're saved. You know, we, we might consider them to be converts. And, and the way that we know this is why, because they're willing to leave their tents and do something about it. We can consider Abraham. He leaves his father's house. Paul says, what must I do? You know, if we're saved, there should be something that drives us to want to speak up. To be honest, I I don't mean, maybe this is not doctrinal. I'm not sure. It's just, it's a personal opinion. But I I just wonder, I'll, I'll phrase it this way. I wonder about my own salvation if there's not something inside of me that wants to shout on the rooftop to the lost and the dying. My own salvation. We can consider Jeremiah. Your word is like a fire shut up in my bones. I can't stay silent. What's shut up in our bones? I believe Pastor Williams, or I don't remember who was saying, you know, you can tell a lot about what people love by what they talk about. And and I'm embarrassed sometimes by how excited people get about fantasy football or, or hobbies and in, in jobs and career, and you try to talk about Jesus and, and they mock you, or you want to talk about the things of God, and, and it's just like, how can you, what do you talk about? I, I love my wife. Uh, <laughs> I, I've, I've uh, finally gained some wisdom, and um, I take her out on a date once a week now. Our children can stay home on their own, and, and so we go on lunch every Monday. You can write that in your Bible if you want, men. And, um, but one of the things that I, we try to do is we try not to talk about church and we can't, what else is there to talk about? Just hold on. Give me a second. Give me a second. What else is there to talk about? I mean, we're supposed to be like, I'm supposed to be telling a romantic things. I don't know how to do that. But all we can talk about, think about Jesus. He heals two blind men. I mean, stop and think about this. Jesus himself, God in the flesh says, don't say anything about this. And what do they do? They can't keep quiet. Jesus tells us, yeah, don't go on our reach. Okay. Imagine this. Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Jesus, how in the world can I not tell people what you just did for me? Mark 7, 36, then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. You know, if we're saved, it should be a struggle for us to keep silent. It should be a struggle. Listen, it should be a struggle. It was a struggle for me Every, ask Pastor Campbell yourself, every conference I was in his office, Pastor, I have to go overseas. I didn't care where. When we ended up in Lima, Peru, I didn't have a clue. I, I, I'm ashamed to say, I wasn't even sure where it was. I just knew it was in South America. Paul, how did you decide on Lima, Peru? Was it God? No, the door was open. And I'm so happy I ran through it. And you will be too. There should be something that that is in us that feels obligated to spread the good news to the starving people. I need to lay down my nets. 
I need to deny myself. I need to take up my cross. I need to consider this world dung, like Paul said. Listen, this world, this world stinks, man. Honestly, this world stinks. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. You know, God is into feeding people. We consider the only miracle that's mentioned in all four Gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. Remember, I mentioned the Gospel repeats itself for a reason, and I think God is trying to give us a hint. He said, if there's any miracle you need to see or you need to hear as many times as possible is that I'm into feeding people. Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? I mean, stop and think about this. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Of course I do. And he makes him repeat it. Are you sure? Do you love me? Listen, that, that's not just for Peter. I love when, you know, we want to take all the promises of God and all the good stuff. But then when it's conviction, we're like, oh, well, you know, that's for them. But let me ask you, do you, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Feed a sheep. It's just that clear. You know, there are hungry people in the world and we're not talking about physical food. I'm, I'm sure we're all mature enough to know that. My, my church, one of the, the defining distinctives of my church, when people would call me and ask me, and hey, you know, how's Peru? One of the main things, and probably the, the, the only thing that I mention is the people are very, very hungry. I'm, I'm not kidding. I'll, I'll, I'll save, save it for the report tonight, but these people are starving. I can't give them enough. They go to everything. They don't complain. These people have nothing, guys. I, I don't want to try to make you feel bad, but most of the people in my church live in one little room with their families. Most of them, they're refugees, many of them from Venezuela. That's not their fault. Many of them make $3 or $2 an hour. I, not on purpose, but I was at a little market. I, I'm buying just some... I'm buying some nuts and, and, and some dried fruit to go add to my, my dessert for, for the evening. My daughter's going to make a, a carrot cake. And, and the man, not, by per, not on purpose, tells me, Pastor, that's how much I make in a whole day. And it's like, and, and, and it, listen, that poverty, we could talk about finances and we can get all Republican in here and start talking about capitalism, but but listen, they're like that spiritually too. I love being out there. I don't want to go anywhere. You know, I feel like, I feel like Pastor Campbell because it's like I'll sit down with my men. I, I, we have like legit disciples and, and I'll sit down with them and I feel like Pastor Campbell because they'll just sit around and just listen and like absorb. And I even do his voice in Spanish. <laughs> It's, uh, it's not true. <laughs> but you know, when people are starving, they'll eat anything. Listen, you don't have to go out there with French cuisine. All you have to do is just tell people that God loves them. It doesn't take much. But are you just hanging out in your tent? You know, it has to be more than words. We've got to be a people who are willing to go. I, I don't mean this. Never mind. The lepers left their blessing in order to bring the good news. Jesus left heaven. Deny yourself. Follow my example. 
We're Christians. Are we following Christ's example? You know, there's a city waiting for you, starving. What if pastor never laid down his job at the electric company and left his tent in Illinois to come to Phoenix and Chandler? What if pastor, Alan, what if pastor never left? If you've ever been to Malaysia, it's, I couldn't imagine Malaysia not being there. Dan and Monica, Oscar Gafford and Ryan Birch and Stacy Dillard and Larry Mitchell and Robert Hedegaard and Hector Ortiz and Hilkota and, and I, forgive me if I missed your name, what if these men never left? I encourage you to go on a mission trip. You can afford it. And I want you to go see these people. It'll change your life. And I want you to talk to them and look them in the eyes and wonder what would happen if men didn't go. You know, God brought the world to a place where they're willing, they're willing to come to their senses right now. I, I can't explain how fruitful Lima is right now. And there's many nations like it. I believe India. I finish with this. The Evian Conference in France was just before World War II. And FDR, he gathered 32 very, very rich nations to come together. They had a nine-day conference. And they had a question because they knew what was happening to the Jews. Everybody was well aware of Hitler's plans. It wasn't a secret. And they could see the writing on the wall that these Jews were, were in a desperate, very dire situation. And so all of these 32 nations come together, and they, be, they begin to give, this is at a conference, they begin to speak very kind and very, very inspirational words, and some of the speeches were very, very moving. But the problem was, at the end of the day, after the conference, nobody did anything. Six million Jews. And you know the thing that, that upsets me the most is Hitler mocked them. These are his words. I can only hope and expect that the other world, which has such deep sympathy for these criminals, will at least be generous enough to convert this sympathy into practical aid. And he said, I'll send them to them, even in luxury ships. But they didn't accept him. They did nothing. You know, my fear is, is we get moved at conference, and, and we feel the spirit of God, and, and we, oh, I want to go. And you might not be able to go tonight or tomorrow. But don't just leave here having heard some inspirational words and not begin to prepare your life. There's next year. There's no reason why you can't be on outreach. You know, I've, I've had men tell me, I want to go overseas. Go on outreach first. There are lost and dying people. And we need to be willing to share the good news. That's all I have. So now I have to tell you about donuts. <laughs> so grateful for amazing ministry this morning. Can we give God praise really quick? Hallelujah. <laughs> so.
So we're going to have a donut break, and uh, we want to uh, just remind you to get back into the building uh, quickly. We have, uh, we have a little bit of time, but let's be here 10 minutes before 11, and we're going to see God help us once again. And so um, uh, just a quick reminder, Pastor Tori wanted me to pass along. If you need a ride to the airport, uh, getting, getting back to your city, uh, you need to contact either Pastor Tory or Jonathan Bollinger. And so why don't we stand? We're going to bless this time, of, uh, this time of food and fellowship. Let's believe God to help us, Pastor, uh, Pastor, glory to God. Pastor Lamont, why don't you bless this time? Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.